Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this message in our current series. Well, good morning. So we have been in the book of Daniel, and last time we left off in Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel was sharing a dream, a vision, back to King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the vision. He told him uh, that in his dream he had had a, a giant statue, a towering figure, and it had a head of gold, which represented the king, and then it had uh, bronze, and then iron, and then clay, and it represented successive kingdoms. But what you may remember is that at the end of that story, they, uh, the king was so impressed with Daniel's story, the, the dream, that he, he puts him in charge of stuff. He, this, guy's, this guy's got it going on, which is interesting because in the story, he actually predicts the end of the kingdom. And then he gets put in charge for predicting the end of the kingdom. But if you look closely, he, he predicts the end of the kingdom, but not the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And Nebuchadnezzar gets to be the golden head of the statue. And the other parts, the lesser parts, are successive kings. So Nebuchadnezzar, it seems, sort of likes this dream. He's like, yes, I'm the gold guy. So in chapter 3, it should come as no surprise that Nebuchadnezzar sets out to build a giant statue, 90 feet tall, made of gold, covered in gold. And that sets up our story. In fact, he, he builds this statue, 90 feet tall, and then he declares that when the music plays, I guess they came up with a theme song or something. When the music plays, everybody, everywhere that can hear the music should bow down and worship this 90 foot tall. Let me give you a reference. That's about the size of the tower cross out in front of the church. This is, you're not missing this. At the sound of the music, interesting segue, um, I, you, you remember, those of you who grew up in Sunday school and heard this story, and I was telling some of our volunteer uh, leaders this morning this, um, I remember this part because it actually tells you the instruments in the band. When you hear, and it says the, the harp, the flute, the zither, and the sackbut. And for whatever reason, from my childhood, I remember the sackbut. There's something about a junior high boy hearing a teacher say at the sound of the sack butt that was just memorable, at least for me. Maybe I'm the only person. So imagine my surprise when I'm getting ready for this and I'm reading in a modern translation and they've changed sack butt to lyre, which is a small harp, which is what it was. But really, I sort of feel like the modern translations have just watered it down. I want to go back to Sackbutt. That has nothing to do with today's message. Nothing at all. It's just a personal rant. I just wanted to note, 
I noticed. You remember the story, right? Maybe you don't. I'll fill in the blanks. Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or the VeggieTale names that Brittany mentioned a few moments ago, they, they say, no way. No way are we bowing down to this idol. King gets word of this, and he is furious. This is a, a direct challenge to his authority. And he commands them directly. And they reject it directly. And so he takes the furnace and he fires it up hotter than it's ever been and he tosses them in. Only you may remember the story. They don't burn. In fact, when Nebuchadnezzar looks in and sees them unburned, he calls them out and he notes that not only did they not burn up, they didn't even smell like smoke. And this, this turns to a bit of a, a turnaround for King Nebuchadnezzar. We love this story. I mean, Sunday schools have been telling this story for, for generations. We've been writing songs about it. In fact, we've got a song, one of our favorites here, that we, we sing about it. Because it's the story of, of deliverance. God's deliverance. That's a message we can all relate to. It's a message we want. God delivers. And he does. But there's a problem. And we sort of know it. God doesn't seem to deliver how or when I expect him to. That's a challenge. Oh, he delivers, but how and when? <laughs> Who can know? In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't know either. In fact, it's written right into the story, this sense of, of uncertainty. Let me begin there by reading it to you. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I love this. We do not need to defend ourselves before you if we are throwing into the blazing furnace. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Even if he doesn't. What's that all about? Even if he doesn't. It, on the surface, it, it seems like their, their faith is quivering a little bit. I mean, they're going through with it, but they're not exactly certain what God is going to do. Is their faith shaky? 
Are they questioning God's goodness? Or is it something else? (laughs) Is this the kind of mature faith that we aspire to? You see, here's what's happening in this passage. Their faith is facing down two of our darkest terrors right at the same moment. They're facing the rejection of powerful people. You see, a lot of fear in your life and in my life is a direct result of the rejection of powerful people. It can be a teacher who has to give you a subjective grade on a paper. And it feels like everything in life hinges on that grade. It can be a boss who's writing your review and who always seems to find something wrong in you. It can be the silence of a friend. It can be a partner whose heart has turned away from you. It can be when you discover that someone you cared about doesn't care about you as much. Do do you see how the the, 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 the fear, the, the rejection of, of powerful people. Powerful people don't have to be powerful everywhere. They're just powerful in our lives. And these three young men are facing a powerful rejection, and yet somehow they stand there. And it's not just that. It's the other terror, the terror of God's uncertain deliverance. What's God going to do? And how is he going to do it? Because here's the reality. I believe God delivers. I believe he's active in the world, that he's at work in my life. But I also believe that I am wholly incapable of predicting what he will do. I was at a, a, a a lacrosse game, it's a sports season for our oldest who's graduating from high school, and I was at a lacrosse game yesterday. That's where I got this iris tan. <laughs> Y'all were wondering. And we, I, got, I got there a little, a little bit late, and I, I got there, and I could see the scoreboard from a distance. It's a team we'd already played, and they'd already beat us once. And I saw it, and it said 6-0, and I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm a little too into it. I'm, I am that dad. And as I got closer, I noticed that it said six for the guests and O for home, and we were the guests. <laughs> and by halftime, it was a blowout. And I was running around the stands, high-fiving people. I was the happiest guy. Here's what I discovered about myself. And I know this is true. I love a blowout. 
I 100% do. I love a blowout. I love it when my favorite sports team on TV blows somebody out. Like people are like, oh, I just want a good game. That's a lie. You do not love a good game. You only love a good close game when you win. Because on, on Tuesday, we had a close game and it was tied with a minute and a half left and we lost. And that's not a good game. But I love, I, like, I just like knowing. I like, I like, like when it's a blowout, it's like I know what's going to happen. Yes, I can spend the next 30 minutes just celebrating, gloating, <laughs> acting like that fan. I mean, I love a blowout. And it seems like God does not like blowouts. Like in my life, he doesn't... Like there's something about uncertainty and waiting and that he uses and he likes and somehow it grows me. And, and that's something that we admire in these these three young men as they stand before the king and they, they face the rejection of the most powerful man in the world and they, they stand there and they don't flinch. And even as they're declaring our God is able to deliver us, they say, but we're not sure if he's going to. And yet even in that they say, but that's okay too. I mean, where does that come from? Uh, where, where does this kind of faith for living because that's the kind of faith that helps us to live well anywhere to live well anywhere I think there's a hint in just one verse I want to go back to it if we could in verse 18 um, just because it's a great verse it, it's, a, it's a story unto itself Here's what they said. But even if he, God, right, if he doesn't deliver us, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods, small g, or worship the gold statue you have set up. It's like, th this passage is like, it's dripping with, with sarcasm. At least that's how I, it's, it's just like, it's an, it's an in-your-face moment. And, and what they're saying is, they're, they're, that, <laughs> that gold statue you made, you made that thing. It's not real. Your people have been out there building it for weeks. It's not real. That's not what's real. I think that there's something, there's something right there about what's real. And that's what these young men are doing, and it maybe is an important lesson for us. That, that thing, that thing is not that's not what's real. And it's not what's really important. And, and somehow they believed. They, I mean, they really, really believed that God was real. 
and he was with them. He was real and he was with them. And, and there, there's something about this. There's something about, about believing in your deepest part that, that, that he's real and that he's, he's with us. That's why when we, we sang that last song and, and we get to that place where it says, I'm never alone, there's something, there's something about it that just chokes us up, right? It, 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 it reminds us of the most important thing, that we're not alone and that he's real and he's with us. Because that's what changes things. That's what enables us to stand in the face of rejection. It's what enables us to, to stand in the face of our greatest fears. And it's what enables us to live through uncertainty. God, I don't know what you're going to do or when you're going to do it. But I believe you're real and you're with me. Paul writes to the church at Colossae in the book of Colossians, which has become a favorite of mine, chapter 3. And it's this powerful chapter about the presence of God in our life. And let me just read to you one verse. Because Paul, Paul brings this, this idea of God's presence in our life forward and how it works and how it, it sustains us, how, it, how it, it gives us strength in the face of powerful people and how it gives us faith in the face of uncertainty about what God is going to do. It's a simple verse. It says this, For you died to this life, and your real life, your real life is hidden with Christ and God. Your real life. You died to this, this life. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, something in you changed and you became his and he became yours and he dwells within you. And that, and watch what it's saying though, in your, your real life, your, your real life is, is hidden in him. It's, it's not, what makes it so hard is it's not obvious or, or visible. Like the, the, the thing standing in front of you, the thing you're afraid of, the overwhelming obstacle, the, the rejection of that powerful person, that feels real and it's terrifying, right? It's like it, it grips us because we can see it and we can hear their voice and we can, we can see what they've written on paper and we can, the, the, the rejection is almost tangible and the, the desperation for a solution in our life is, is overwhelming. It feels like the most real thing, but what Paul's saying is that's not the most real thing. Your real life, your real life is hidden in Christ, in God. There's something in the invisible. There's something in his presence in your life. That's the real life. And it's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe. They're standing there and they're standing in front of this king. And I can only imagine that their knees are shaking as they're saying this. And they're saying, no matter what you do, we will not, we will not bow because that's not what's real. He's what's real. And then the king does the unthinkable and he has the guards gather them up, bind them, toss them into the fire. And somewhere in there, they, they realize this ain't so bad. 
And somewhere in there, they realized that they weren't alone. Isn't that the beauty of the story? They weren't alone. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 3, in verse 25. Look. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. Look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like, <laughs> looks like a god. We've come to call this these, a, a Christophany. That's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. That one in the fire, it's a beautiful picture. How do you practice his presence? How can you remind yourself of what's really real? I, I find one of the most um, powerful ways of helping to reset my own mind is by asking myself questions. Now, admittedly, this takes a little bit of talking to yourself, so you don't need to do it out loud or in public, because that's just weird. <laughs> it, we used to do this all the time. Remember, what would Jesus do, right? It was a, it was a reset, like, how do I want to live? What would Jesus do? I, I'll give you one that I use. When it, whenever I find myself facing something that's, that's fearful, it's a, a bit overwhelming, and, and I can just feel it. I, I, don't even, I don't even know why. I can just feel it, right? You know, it's the anxiousness. I ask myself, is this, fill in the blank, my real life? Is this test? Is this opportunity? Is this person... Is this solution? Is this my real life? I'm going to give you the answer. The answer is always no. You know how I know? Because here's what God's told us. He says, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So that rejection, that fear, that anxiousness that's in me, that's welling up in me, it's founded in something that's not my real life. And when I ask myself, is this my real life? It draws me back to that place where my life, my real life is hid in Christ and God. It's sort, of like, it's sort of like I take that verse and I just step back into it. My real life is hid in Christ, in God. My real life is hid in Christ. That's my real life. And any time that fear, that anxiousness starts to well up, I remind myself with a question, is this 
really my real life? Is this what really matters? My real life is hid in Christ and God. He's my real life. You see, the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, he became a part of your life. And he'll never leave you. He's always with you. His deliverance is not predictable, but it's sure. Maybe you're here and you're not even sure what to do with Jesus. You're... You've been on the fence with saying yes to Jesus Christ. But this is what he's offering. Our lives are hid in Christ. When he died, we died with him. And all of those things lost their power over us. Our lives are hid with Christ and God. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let me begin here. Maybe you're, you're standing at the, the, the front of the proverbial fiery furnace. And the threat that's in front of you seems overwhelming. Your real life is hid is safe, is sure in Christ. And maybe you just need these moments, these few moments right here just to, just to ask yourself that question, is this my real life? Or is my life, is everything about me hid, safe, sure, in Christ, my God. Maybe, maybe you're here and you want to say yes to Jesus Christ. You want to take that step of faith. You see in him one who is sure, who will never leave you. I want to give you the quiet of this moment to take that step pray to say yes to him as your savior there's no special prayer or words it's the faith of your heart that he's listening for but when we pray when we take that step of faith he hears and he answers you might pray something like this dear God You know me, and you know everything about me. Today, I say yes to your gift, your grace, your mercy. I trust you as my Savior. I place 
this little bit of faith that you've given me in you. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name we pray.